Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Chelsea Lupkin. She's a writer, director, and cinematographer who has created a diverse amount of work across multiple platforms. Her short film, Lucy's Tale, premiered at Fantasia in 2018 and is now part of Alter's YouTube channel. And her short film, Flagged, is on Hulu as part of their Halloween lineup. She's also been the DOP on over 2,000 videos 2, for Delish. 000. And a senior programmer and editorial writer for the website Short of the Week. Hello, Chelsea. What do you not? What don't you do? <laughs> what don't you do? I think you're just real. I feel like I'm just realizing now that I really need a vacation. <laughs> 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 I mean, seriously. Yeah. Like- <laughs> oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> and you might be prepping a movie. It's like, right. do, 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 do. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, might be making yeah. a movie. <laughs> okay, but before we do get all to that creative stuff, which there's a lot, and there's something I definitely want to talk to you about, how did you get introduced to horror? Accident. It was a complete accident. It was one of those things where I, I realized that I should be making films that I actually like to watch. Okay. And I've grown up so much, you know, watching horror movies and scary things and action adventure. So why was I not making them? Um, and, mm-hmm. that, and I kind of just by happenstance wrote this body horror, Lucy's Tale, which when that then went on to YouTube, and I think it's at like 5.2 million views or something insane like that. And it was just sort of this aha moment of, 
oh, you're kind of good at this. Stop doing everything else. Just stop everything and do scary things. So take us back to childhood. What was your first horror movie? How did you, did someone introduce it to you? Did you find it uh, by yourself? How, how did that come about You know, as a kid? I think I need to actually give my parents some, uh, some credit and some flack because um, one of my <laughs> first times really getting into horror was at a beach house in North Carolina. I was staying there with my family and there was a rainy day and they had a bunch of VHSs and one of them Ooh. was Jaws. And I thought that was good <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> too much while I'm going to go to the beach, you know, the next uh-huh. day. Um, yeah. Terrible yeah. idea. Parents, what were you thinking? <laughs> Why did you let me watch that? How old were you? Oh man, I must have been like seven or eight. Easy. Okay. I was young. Yeah. time. Pretty much I, saw it, I, that. I saw it when I was four. Like, <laughs> why did anyone think that was the good idea? <laughs> I don't know. Right, right. Like, I, and I remember very distinctly that my parents, I was afraid to like go in the water immediately and they would like, you know, lift me up and be like, no, we're going to walk in together. I'm just like, no, no, I don't want to be in the ocean now. Thanks. Not even a little bit. Don't even want to dip a toe. <laughs> Not even I've, a little bit. I've shared this story a couple of times, but I, I saw that very young as well. And I would lived in Alaska and I was terrified of swimming on my back in the indoor pool in Alaska because I was afraid that Jaws, as I called it, would come up from the depths of the pool and eat me. Um, you and uh, me too. I was on the swim yeah. team for a very brief moment. And I like, again, you know, being a little kid in elementary school as like professional swimmers are. And I would be so afraid that there would be a shark. That's just coming to get me in, you know, a chlorine filled. In the chlorinated pool. <laughs> yep. 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 Exactly. <laughs> and so. the shark was like 25 feet and the pool is definitely not that deep. Like, you know, right. lo- logics don't like come into play, but it's like, no, it, that shark is in the pool. It's going to eat me. It's going to eat me. So was like, did you grow up watching horror movies? Like you saw Jaws and did you keep watching horror? Or was it something that kind of your parents let you watch or were interested in? Yes. So right after I really got into, you know, I, I saw Jaws and I, I liked it. Couldn't stop singing, you know, show me the way to go home. Then my parents were like, I think right? (laughs) Then my parents were like, you know, I think you might be old enough. Maybe you should watch Jurassic Park. Maybe you should watch, you know, Alien. (laughs) So, which really freaked me out. (laughs) Uh But I, I really liked those movies, but I was also a total scaredy cat. Like I would always kind of, you know, I, there was nothing, there was nothing to be done, but I was hooked. It didn't matter. Did did most horror movies scare you or did you like it overcome that fear or was it that it could purvey through like most of your childhood? Um, You know, I don't think I ever really overcame fear of watching scary movies, um, Mm -hmm. but I certainly grew an appreciation for them, um, especially because most of, you know, my youth had, you know, I had a VHS. I just like pause it, rewind it, pause it, you know. Everybody has that kind of visceral. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but if I was too squ- if I was too scared, I would just pause the movie for a minute, you know, pace around the room and come back because at that <laughs> point, you know, <laughs> I wasn't old enough to go to the movie theater. So right. that's because I think most I think most horror movies that you know have some real notoriety are rated R. So mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. Yeah. What were some of your favorites growing up? Um, what were my favorite? Scary movies growing up. Uh, great question. For some reason, and this wasn't my favorite, but I watched it a lot. And I don't know why I watched it a lot. The Ring. The Ring I really liked. <laughs> um, but it was also one of those things where I saw it too young. Dad took my sister and I to the movie theater and then kept playing pranks on us where he would call the landline. No. <laughs> Oh, thank God. I hate it when dads do that. What the fuck? That's rude. (laughs) 
sorry. Really <laughs> Obviously, I had experience with that. <laughs> I feel like, honestly, like in hindsight, I think my parents like really set me up to start making scary movies. Oh, man. Okay, so as an adult, do you still get scared watching movies? Or have you, you know, become desensitized to them? Yes. um, As an adult, I do get scared watching movies. And I think that's probably why I, you know, I might be good at writing them. I might be good at writing them um, because I'm a scaredy cat. I'm a complete scaredy cat. Uh, I remember watching for the first time, and I know this is super sacrilege, but I saw uh, A Quiet Place on the Plane and I was coming. Oh, back. interesting. Yeah. Okay. So wait, wait for this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in the middle seat. I'm coming back from LA to New York. This is a five hour flight. And I put on a quiet place, teeny tiny monitor, I get my headphones mm-hmm. in and I start watching this movie and I really got scared. Like I'm one of those people that will like put their knees up and plug their ears and shut their eyes and think maybe that'll help. It doesn't. I love that. By the way, spoiler alert, it doesn't. Um, but so halfway through this movie, and, you know, I'm jumping every five seconds. Uh, this woman who, this older, this older woman next to me in the in the um, in the window seat, she taps me on the shoulder, and I immediately apologize. I'm like, oh man, maybe I like jumped and I, I jostled her or something, and I'm like, I'm Wait, so were you sorry. in the middle? Were you in the Were you in the middle seat? Yes, I was in the middle seat on the plane. Oh no! This was a oh. lot of old, oh no, a lot of oh no. So. I'm in the middle seat and this woman just taps me and I'm like, I immediately apologize. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, was was I being distracting? Like, are you okay? She goes, no, no, no. I want to know what you're watching because I want to watch that. <laughs> I was like, bless <laughs> your heart. <laughs> so she was just like, yeah, you. Lo- it must be a really good movie, the way that you're reacting. <laughs> so I was like, well, it is. So a quiet place. What a... What a wild experience watching that on a plane. That wasn't a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that you guys, you so got scared. Did you yeah. were you watching yeah. on like the little the little screen or yeah. were you watching on your laptop? No, oh, it was it was like the little screen on like, you know, the headset or like on the, the headset, head, the headrest. Yeah, headrest of, you know, in front of me. Totally. On Delta. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my god, that is incredible. And so was that the most recent movie to really scare you, or has there been something even more recently that's kind of freaked you out? Um, actually there is something that was that was recent that freaked me out, and I'm ashamed to say it. Uh, I had, this, is a, this is a safe space. Is it? Uh, you it you is. might judge me for this. I had never seen until last year uh, Blair Witch Project. Oh, never saw it. Oh, oh, right. You might get some judging from from Mary oh, Beth because okay. that's like no, one of her favorites. I don't, no judgment. Not <laughs> seeing those things. No judgment. No, I I was really I was really wrapped up in that, especially because um, while I live. Uh, in, you know, in the up in the heights in New York City, we have a lot of forests. So I'm just mm. like used to kind of wandering around like that's, you know, and then the Blair Witch Project. Woof, man. <laughs> like I knew what it was about, but I, I, I just didn't. I never saw it. My favorite little tidbit that I've said a million times in this podcast is that I live like 45 minutes from Burkittsville. <laughs> oh, no. And I grew up. Yeah, I grew up near Burkittsville, like went to camp. Like, not in Burgettsville, but, like, in the woods. And so that we always scared each other about the Blair Witch. So, uh, yes. Near I love dear that, though. To my heart. That's, like, the kind of friendships that I want. I just want my friends to scare me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that friend. I was just thinking back to when you were talking about your dad pranking with the ring. I used to do that with my friends all that. the time. <laughs> go seven days. Seven and just, days. like, leave random messages on their phone. Right. 
Ugh. What are some of your favorite horror movies now as an adult? Or is there like a subgenre that you kind of feel yourself more attracted to than others? I think that I've really grown an appreciation for a lot of Stephen King writing. Okay. And I mean, obviously, like, you know, I love Coming of Age and one of my shorts is very Carrie-esque. That was Lucy's mm-hmm. Tale. I really like Coming of Age horror. I think there's something to be said for being vulnerable and trying to learn as you go as a kid. So a lot of those kind of younger skewing scary stories really speak to me. That's actually a good segue. So, okay. So here's the thing. Back in 2019, out of nowhere, Alter's like, hey, do you want to review this this, this short film <laughs> called Lucy's Tale? And I'm like, yes, I would love to. So I, I, I review it. It's great. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, you're moving on to different things and I'm, I'm reviewing. So this is why this is one of the reasons I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, because cut forward to like, I don't know, I think it was 20, like late 2020 and pandemic is happening. I'm stuck at home. I'm doing a lot of like comfort watches, which includes a lot of like cooking shows on, <laughs> on YouTube. I love to watch cooking shows. And um, at this time, like I was looking for new places because Bon Appetit had some issues. And so I was yeah. looking for other things to um, <laughs> to watch. And I came across this little show on Delish called Iconic Eats. And I was immediately enraptured and I started watching anything that came on Delish. And before I know it, there is like a video where I think it was you and a couple other of the um, um, the the actual like the, the foodie people all in Zoom places in your individual. Yeah, we were in our homes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Filming. And I was like, Chelsea, why is that name so familiar? And why does she look familiar? And then I realized that Alter had included a headshot back in 2019 when they sent out the stuff. And it came together that the person that had been filming all of these videos that I was watching and getting me through one of the most like hard times is the person I reviewed back in 2019, the short film. And I was like, what the fuck? I know. <laughs> Um, I, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you wear many hats, but I love when like the internet kind of like you, you sort of realize like it's all connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seriously. I, it was like my mind just exploded. I was like, wait, no, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, so Delish, which is this, uh, food site magazine, um, it's got, you know, a bunch of series on YouTube. We, you know, I actually, am, you know, was part of the original team to kind mm-hmm. of build this this thing into a, a video brand at the time. I think this is like late 2015. And I had, a, I had just left uh, working at MTV and I had got this gig and I knew nothing about food. And here I am now, you know, doing all these crazy series that have racked up, you know, millions of views. And it's a testament to, you know, the talent we have, you know, Tess Coleman from Iconic Eats. Now we have a new oh, host. Tess was great. Adriana yes. Redding, who is fabulous. And I love her. Yes. Um, and also Julia Smith. She's another She's another one. And June. And, you know. I have been watching June. Even though, like, I'm not a Budget Eats person, I have been watching June's Budget Eats, like, just nonstop. June I'm like, s- two hours. Yes. Give me this long form content. She, honestly, like, she's, like, making her own, like, little feature films, essentially, in her apartment. Mm-hmm. And it's also a testament to, like, our editors who can, like, you know, take that and make it into something that's consumable. I know. Food pun intended. Um, but yes. <laughs> but I'm sh- But yeah, like. It, it was one of those things where, like, I really felt like, you know, food is fun. Um, and it's so funny because at the time that I started there, I really didn't think it was going to be cool. Like, I was just like, oh, well, I came from MTV and I'm doing these comedy sketches and music shows. What am I going to do in food? 
Um, and I, I was so stupid <laughs> because, you know, it really did. It, it really blew up and, and it's such a, a joy to have that be part of what my career has become aside from, you know, horror and everything else. What an incredible contrast between making really cute, fun, yeah. uh, funny <laughs> culinary videos and horror movies. I yes. love it. It's so I, cool. <laughs> it's like eventually I'm going to have to make some sort of horror movie in a kitchen. There's going to be some blood and guts, you know. <laughs> It's it's funny because I have like a, a this short film idea of like <laughs> of me. like combining um, sort of like a I don't know like a Rosanna Pancino type you know host that's like cooking at home but it's doing like cannibalism you know I'd watch it <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch the fuck out of that I mean, it played straight but like she's telling you how to serve up rack of man you, you know, know? Like, and it's so funny because like i feel like i've seen these kind of crazy like especially in short films or otherwise like at film <laughs> festivals and it's like oh why have i not done that yet <laughs> you should Only a matter of time. Like, it seems like it seems like the perfect like marriage there yeah oh, it'd yeah. be a funny tiktok channel too i love tiktok like i love that love shit it. and i feel like it'd be so funny like rest like, they have like recipe tiktoks and it's like you're a cannibal recipe tiktok that would be incredible you probably taken down pretty quickly yeah they would probably be like just taking it too seriously but like maybe yeah. not honestly like once you're on ghost tiktok oh ghost talk spooky <gasps> yeah spooky talk is spooky my talk absolute is like, favorite place to be thriving there thriving on spooky talk <laughs> oh, i, I want to know your favorite i want to know your favorites but we're getting up to- <laughs> sorry 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 <laughs> no i'm just like oh i could talk about spooky tiktoks forever tiktok is so funny because it just like leads you down paths and before yeah. you know it you are like how did i get here i mean i'm convinced <laughs> like, i'm convinced that i am in a global coven of witches at this point because of tiktok so right right hey, uh-huh. i'm here for yeah. that yeah I, I learned a lot about how to be a witch on TikTok. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. <laughs> okay, so let's let's take it to Lucy's Tale and 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 flagged. So can you tell listeners a little bit about um, what like Lucy's Tale is about? Yeah, um, Lucy, you know, it, it's a it's a coming of age horror, but um, it's essentially came about because I wanted to make something about puberty, which is already a horror in and of itself. So why not turn it into a horror movie? I mean, that was really like the seed, the spark if you will, is like, you know, you know, coming into womanhood, but instead she's coming into her villainhood and like, isn't that something else? So yeah. So, you know, the movie, it follows a young girl named Lucy who would, you know, really just wants to grow big, you know, maybe bigger boobs, but instead grow something else. I don't want to spoil it, but go watch the, go watch the, go watch the short. (laughs) Yeah. I, that's, that's where it immediately pulled me to. And I I was so happy that you were talking about like the, the Carrie, because it, it gives me that kind of vibes, but more of a, I mean, I'll be honest. I love uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie, and I love the, the the story Carrie. But they definitely come from a male perspective, yes. and so that's one thing I really liked about that pulled me to Lucy's Tale is that it was being told by a woman's perspective, and I I thought that was it, sad that that's like know. you know and I a boom moment or something like that. But it was like a really I thought really cool. Yeah, you know it's it's it was fun also because we had such an incredible cast um, for that. Uh, actually, one of them is in a crazy sci-fi um, adventure series in Spain called Paradiso, the Irina Bravo, who plays Lucy. I don't think it's made okay. to Netflix here yet, but it is in Netflix in Spain. Um, okay. And then Mary Neppy was the star um, of Snatchers. I don't know if you guys saw that a couple years ago. Yeah, it was, it was a series. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it was really awesome. But regardless. Oh, yep. Snatchers, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. it, she gets pregnant and then, you know, it's, it's blood and guts. Yeah. That one. Yay, Mary Neppy. But for, for the most part, it was one of those things where, like, I wanted to give voice to this kind of girl code, like these relationships between these, mm-hmm. these young women and that we can sometimes be really mean to each other through competitiveness, through just like, you know, how society has kind of trained us to do that kind of thing. So for Lucy, you know, she finds her independence. She's kind of like coming into herself, but she really is kind of this, in some ways, a bad guy, you know, because she's coming mm-hmm. into her villainhood, but she's also doing all these really bad things for all the right reasons. And for me, that, yeah. that was a really great hook to kind of give a social commentary on, you know, more adult behavior and, yeah. and some things that weren't so great. And it's funny because now, uh, I, you know, I spent a lot of pandemic writing a four season show Bible for, <laughs> for Lucy. I know, I know. I, I, I wish people could see your faces. <laughs> they can't. Um, hopefully maybe one day that'll get made, but it, it's been, it's been a, a, a time to world build and write for me these past couple years. Yeah. Um, and it's been an adventure. I really feel like, especially because, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, I'm a senior programmer for sure of the week. Um, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of stuff. I see, I see a lot of stuff. And for me, it was one of those things where like, I was never really a writer um, until I started really explaining to filmmakers what they were doing right and what they were doing wrong. Um, and mm. that's how I learned how to, you know, grab a pen and, and, and write stories. So yeah, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Maybe one day you'll see Lucy's Tale as oh, a show. <laughs> that'd be amazing. I, I'm yeah. ready to go pound on doors. <laughs> who, do we need, who do we need to yell at? I don't, Netflix. you know, it's so Let's funny. I know, like Netflix, floor. please <laughs> call me because it's so funny. Um, there, I never really thought that it could do so well, but it's got like 66,000 likes. There's like thousands of comments, fan theories. Um, and I worked on that with my creative producer, Sarah Colavano, who she mm-hmm. and I have just like put our brains together of like, what does this world look like? Um, but again, like we really wanted to make it feel like this was a, a, a women's story, but also really yeah. accessible to other people. So it kind of has some generous body vibes. You know, there's a lot of things there to unpack, but we'll see. Knock wood. Hell Yeah. So we've talked about all of your creative endeavors and your horror history, but Chelsea, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? I, you know, what's funny. I, I really like thought, oh, what's this? What's a really cool movie that scarred me for life? And then I was like, you know what? Nah, I'm going to put down The Mummy. 1999's The Mummy starring Brendan Fraser. Yes, as you should. Oh, it's the best. So um, let me read everyone a quick synopsis before we jump in. At an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Hamanoptera, an American serving in the French Foreign Legion accidentally awakens a mummy who begins to wreak havoc as he searches for the reincarnation of his long-lost love. So, Chelsea, tell us your Scarred for Life story and why you chose this for the show. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I chose this because like, um, now that you now know that I have watched a lot of horror movies before I probably should have, this was a big <laughs> one. This was another one. Um, I was nine or eight or nine when it came out. Um, I didn't see it in a movie theater. Um, my parents had rented it from Blockbuster. We're in our living room. We're watching this movie. And for one, it, there's so many jump scares, but it was really the big thing that scared me was the scarabs. It was the bugs. They, they always really, the scarabs. 
The, so- the sound, the fact that oh, they the could sound. Oh, like they could go into your skin and eat you. And and here's the thing. So like we stopped the movie halfway through because like my sister and I got scared. And um, I was like, you know, mom, like, can I just like sleep with Sid tonight? Like, can I sleep with my sister tonight, please? And she's like, no, no, no. You're going to like start out in your room. Like maybe if you get scared, fine. You can run into her room. Like I was a little kid. I was scared. And so I ran into my parents' room, grabbed my dad's socks. And I really thought this was going to work, guys. I took my long pajama pants and I tucked them into my socks and I swore that that was going to protect me from the scarabs <laughs> so they wouldn't crawl and eat my flesh from within. <laughs> so yeah, I was really scared. <laughs> That's amazing. That's oh, amazing. Yep. <laughs> Poor me. But it really haunted me. That haunted me. <laughs> To be fair, they are the the most terrifying part of this of this movie. Even now, rewatching it as an adult, the moment when the warden it like he drops it and it hatch the like the gem and it hatches, and then it's digging into a shoe. I mean, sorry, young Chelsea, your your socks aren't going to prevent it if it can dig through a shoe. But don't tell me that. that. Oh, and like when you see it go like up into his face. That yeah. part always ruined, like when it's in his face and he like rips. Oh, <laughs> it still like, gives me. It's so visceral. Icky. Like whoever did the sound design, even on that oh. movie, like that held up. That held up real well. The skittering, the skittering the sound. Skittering, like when they're running from all of them, like across like the bridges and stuff, and through the tomb, and they're all just this horrendous cacophony of like little beetle legs. It's like. Ah. Yeah, but you know what's it's so crazy because you know, like obviously you just said, you know, this whole thing is in a tomb. It's so funny because I don't know if this was really marketed as a horror movie, but I I think it's very much a horror movie, not just action mm-hmm. and adventure. I mean, essentially it's like a an Egyptian ghost story. They're in a tomb, they're by campfires, they're talking about these scary ghosts. That it's very ominous. There's jump scares from the beginning to the end. It's like one after another. And it just really, really rocked me. Loved that movie. The beginning is horrendous when, like, you he's mummified whole and, like, you see them, like, with the brain. Like, I just everything about the beginning is, like, horror movie. Like, I've totally. always considered this a horror movie. And, like, yes, you have, like, Brendan Fraser, Dreamboat. We'll talk about him later as, like, the oh, action him. star. And it has that, like, kind of 1940s – because it takes place in the 1920s, but it has that adventure movie vibe. But – between the be- the opening sequence with like him getting mummified alive, oh, like when he is wrapped up and like he's moving all in like as one, like that always sticks out. Like it looks like oh, yeah. a worm in a cocoon, and, they're- and they've <laughs> cut out his tongue, and he's like just uh, oh, sutured in there and can't move, and he's moving like a little worm. Oh, it's just disgusting and terrible, and it's like uh-huh, this. It sets it up for just like this is not going to be like this is going to be. Horrendous. You know what's so funny about it too is that in while there's like incredible, you know, via incredible graphics, incredible sorry, while there is incredible special effects and action sequences, there's a lot of like um storytelling rules that it breaks, which I think is really fascinating. Because in movies, you should always show, not tell. But there's so much that is storytelling within storytelling where they're sitting around telling you these ghost stories or telling you how mummies get mummified that it kind of it keeps that sort of vibe of this is a this is a ghost story this is almost like a haunted house for these characters they just happen to be in an in like an egyptian tomb so 
I loved that. I, I like that because I hadn't even thought about that before because you're right. There's a lot of moments where it is giving like little exposition dumps in some way, but like telling like the how you do the the, the mummy thing and all that kind of stuff. And it, yeah, it, do, it does feel like a bunch of people got around a story and are telling various campfire stories throughout the movie. And in fact, they do sort of at a couple points sit around a campfire and talk about like the history and all the kind of the stuff that they've experienced. And yeah, I like that. The spooky music obviously comes in. There's so many gusts of wind. But, you know, oh, I, the fact that they have to like comment on that always keeps happening. I, I, I that made that me one. laugh this time. I mean, this is like one of those quotable movies. I So I was rewatching uh, The Mummy before, you know, coming on with you guys. And I realized uh, that the the version I have doesn't even have like some sub- subtitles and all the oh. all of the lines, even the Egyptian stuff. I was like, I know every single line to this movie. And it's so quotable because there's so much comedy in it. You know, the mummy is juicy, you know? Like, oh, that line. <laughs> like, I, I, I love that just, just how many things that you, that they call attention to just in general. Like, what a fun movie. And I think that kind of goes back to like a lot of the, the movies that, you know, really kind of guided me in what I like, what I want to watch, what I want to make. Um, I grew up with Indiana Jones. Brendan Fraser was it, baby. Like, <laughs> chef kiss. <laughs> Chef's kiss, Brendan Fraser in this role. I am obsessed with him. He is perfect. He, and like, he is such a hunk in this movie. And I Dream think boat. this was the, cause he's, he like, he was obviously in a lot of stuff before this, but in this one, he is his funny self, but also his suave self and his action star self. And he's like, not slapstick, but a little bit goofy. So he's like a more relatable kind of adventure guy. Cause obviously he's a badass, but like makes a lot of mistakes. And like, he is just a cutie with a booty. Yeah. Um, he's the ultimate himbo in he this He is movie. the ultimate yeah. himbo. And like, oh, I just love Brendan Fraser's facial expressions and the way he delivers lines. He's just an iconic character in this movie. I love him. I love him also because he's, like you said, he's so funny and I love a man who's funny. <laughs> so. It's, he's so funny. His comedic timing is incredible and I'm so glad that people, like he's fun. He's finally having that like Frasier songs that's happening yeah. right now, like in his stuff. Because I'm for him. I'm rooting for this man, yeah. but then I also would like to bring on the bisexual energy of this of this movie with Rachel Weiss's character uh. on the opposite end of him and how I loved her and wanted to be her simultaneously because she was a hot librarian. And yes. I and both want to be a hot librarian and want to be with a hot librarian. <laughs> and I learned this when I first saw this movie at an impressionably young age, but didn't quite understand what was happening because... I saw this movie when I was, it was, this came out in theaters when I think I was six. So I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw this one and the second one. And between her and a Knox Sailor Moon, the, the, oh, the yeah. lady and like the fight at the beginning that of the second one, was I was like, am I gay? Like, I didn't know I was gay <laughs> until I was, I was like, Yes. But like, oh, I love Rachel White. Like the beginning with her knocking down all the books. My favorite of all time. Incredible. Oh, the domino the, set piece. Oh, it's so good. And she is just the in- incredible balance of like charismatic and cute and bookish and smart. And her and Brendan Fraser play so well off of each other. Yeah. I just, their dynamic is incredible. You know? And when she gets drunk by the fire. Oh. <laughs> 
queen queen of yes. my heart when me and my fiance watch it together we're both like wow this is the hottest woman we've ever seen right. yes <laughs> I do agree do agree you know what's also kind of great like and i i'm realizing now like rewatching it and and you know going through just the excitement of watching this movie again that she was really one of the first female protagonists that was an adventurer that i saw on screen and wow. And, and there was such a commentary of like, if, if you remember in the movie, there's like a moment where there's like the two groups that are digging. And one of the men from the other group goes, you know, she, they don't know anything. She's led by, they're led by like a, a woman. And then it cuts to her being like, well, actually there's this statue with this thing and this thing. And I was like, yeah, that's badass. Like, yes, you know what? We can do that. We're, you know, we, we can do that. I can be that, not just that sexy librarian. But I can go out into, uh, you know, the desert and maybe wield a sword and awesome. I want to see that. I wanted to see more of that. So that was cool. Yeah. I When I saw this movie for the first time, um, I saw it when it came out in theaters, 1999. I was 18. I was a little shit. <laughs> I was a, a shit that, like, did not enjoy fun. Like, I wanted things to be hardcore and, and scary and monstrous. And I also went to go see I went to go see with my with my whole family, my parents, my, my younger brother, and my whole family is a huge Universal Monster movie fan. Like, that's how I got introduced to the genre was through, uh, you know, the old 1930s Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, all that kind of stuff. And up through like Creature from the Black Lagoon and, and even the, uh, the the more comedic ones, uh, Avin Costello, Meet Frankenstein, like all of that era of genre was like my introduction to it. So when I first saw this movie, I absolutely hated it. Really? Yes, because I wanted, I wanted them to, I wanted it to be like old school and Mary Beth is shaking your head at me. <laughs> I wanted it to be like old school, like the mummy, not this like Indiana Jones you meets the, the mummy type. You wanted the wrappings. Yeah. I wanted the wrappings. I wanted like, I wanted like the, the kind of... <laughs> Slow moving monster, the kind of creepy Mary Beth like is Victorian just her setting. Arms out like she's a mummy. <laughs> like a mummy, you know? yes, thank you. <laughs> visual, not a visual medium. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> Remember, you've been doing this for a long time. Come on now. <laughs> But so I, that's what I wanted. And that's also what my dad wanted. And so what we got was, was definitely like Indiana Jones and the mummy or meets the mummy, you know, it's like adventure movie kind of pulp like adventure from like the 1940s 1950s as you said Mary Beth like mixed with an old school mummy and so I did not like it when I first saw it and it was also the year that like a, a couple OG like horror films were modernized and so you had this one and then it was followed up with The Haunting yes um that came out um... like maybe a month or two later and that again took a very classic, one of my favorite books, Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of, you know, the, the Haunting Story, and modernized it and made it into this big effects extravaganza. And I didn't like it. I was like, yeah. so the, these, this one two punch of these two movies, when I was an 18 year old little shit that didn't know fun, absolutely hated. <laughs> and it was also like when I started to realize that there was like these PG 13 horror movies that I felt in my mind were like, you know, just sort of like gutted from the horror that I had grown up watching, like the, the big explosions of gore in the eighties. And then the more dark, like 
nihilistic stuff that was happening in the early 90s and then even the the teen genre where it was like a lot of people getting slashed and hacked and killed and then you have like this pg-13 stuff coming in and i was like oh very pg-13 horror and so i was i was a little shit when I first saw it. Did, and when did you, did you change your mind is the question. So I have not seen, I had not seen this film until last night when I rewatched it. That was the first time since I saw it in the movie theaters that I saw this movie. And I think it has some problems <laughs> <laughs> that, we're, that I'm happy to dig into when we get to that point. I think it has a couple problems. Mary Beth's just eye rolled. It's fine. It's fine, guys. <laughs> I mean, the episode that came out today was that came out when we were recording this was Martyrs, which I do not like and is like her favorite film. And so, you know, this is just like a one two punch of things that are happening recently. But I, I listen, I don't hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think there are some problems with it, but I had a lot more fun and I was I like was really vibing with it last night. Okay. That's so, all I can ask for. That's all I want. Much more positive. That's all I wanted to hear. Let me make as long it- as you were vibing. Let me make an argument for why I should okay. why you should change your mind about this movie. All right, okay. I'm here for it. Some of the best horror movies have funny characters yes. because when they're funny, you like them and you don't want to see anything bad happen to them. And I think this checked every bucket. It does, absolutely. And that is and that's actually why I was enjoying myself a whole lot more this time because like it's it's so funny because back then I was like the idea of taking horror and comedy and mashing it together, I hated. Yeah. Even though like when I look back at some of the films that I loved in the 80s were doing that where it was like the blob is funny. Totally. It's dark, it's it's morbid, but there's funniness to it. So many of those 80s movies had humor in it, but I didn't see that because I was just like honed in on that gore aspect. I think comedy is horror's secret weapon. Mm-hmm. I completely yep. agree. Completely agree. And so that's what that's why I think I fell in love with this a little bit more on this rewatch. My only the only <laughs> thing that like is a was a big like I don't like this is the um okay we've, we've talked about Rachel Weiss's character, but I feel like at a certain point she isn't given a whole lot to do. <laughs> You're fired. Gets- <laughs> You're fired. No more. Because- this is a final straw. <laughs> she takes us through the entire story. She's the boss bitch who's just like, listen, this is how we're going to save the day. She is the beacon of how to survive an evil mummy man. <laughs> Until she gets kidnapped. Yeah, but even then, she like knocks out a knocks and a boom. I mean, come on. She can hold her own. And becomes the like damsel in distress that must be saved by the strong men in her life. Look, it was 1999. We can't yeah. expect things to be perfect gender wise, but yeah. she's a perfect character. I mean, and I will hear nothing. Nothing. 1999 was the year of She's All That, and that's all we have to say. 1999 was the best, best year for cinema. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Full it stuff, was a great year for cinema. Regardless of genre, it is the best year for but movies. In, in horror the sixth sense of the Blair Witch Project that's all 1999 oh I know like the the list of movies that came out in 1999 I mean you have The Matrix you have Magnolia you have American Beauty which might not have aged very well but at the time (laughs) like great you had like I uh, I, like that movie so much anyway sorry (laughs) anyway it was the bag and it was the bag floating and it was just art and my my, you know, 18-year-old brain is like, oh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever Didn't seen. did Magnolia and come out in 1999? Yeah. It did. Okay. Which I still think is a phenomenal movie. It's my favorite of, of his. But 
but that is a whole other podcast. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so yes, I I I, I agree. <laughs> I knew that me saying that <laughs> they're getting kidnapped on this was probably going to be like a here it comes the pitchforks coming for Terry. But I just I it kind of bothered me that like the movie. Okay, so the movie does this thing where it it winks and it kind of does a knowing like nudge to the audience. In some ways, I would say it's a little meta in the it's fact absolutely. that it takes like. Absolutely. It takes like the Indiana Jones story, takes the mummy story and puts a character that like is like not here to deal with any of it and sort of like has that winking in the moment. And so there's the line when he's trying to get, is it Winston? Is that the pilot's name? Yes. Winston. Oh, I love him. I love, I love Winston. Winston. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bless. He's trying to get Winston and he's like, his line is, we're, we're going to rescue the damsel in distress, kill the bad guy, save the world. So it lays out these like dated plot yeah. tropes that like are familiar throughout all of like pulp, evic- pulp, fic- pulp fiction. Yes. Oh. Pulp adventure fiction. Yes. <laughs> and then it doesn't really do much to subvert it though. And that was my problem. In my mind, I was like, none of this. Okay. You're laying this out and you're saying, I'm poking fun at this, but then... I'm not going to subvert it. You know what I think? I think that even though it says that at the end, it's already set itself to up to subvert some of those gender norms that we see in movies, especially with Rachel Weisz's character in the beginning, that I think it's actually forgivable. And it's almost as if like you know that these characters are not going to be successful in all those things. Because really, you're, you should never say in a line, hey, this is this is the stuff that's going to happen. And then, you know, like, why would I want to watch that? I want to see conflict, you know, make a claim. It's probably not going to end up that way. But I do like the fact that um, Rachel Weisz's character, it's Evie. God, love Evie. Um, she uh, does have a one-on-one fight, you know, with a dagger, with an ox and a moon's, you know, mummy self. So in a lot of ways, it you know, obviously, we're only talking about the first mummy. But even in the, you know, giving her more physicality by the end, by the third act, what's there? She didn't, she wasn't entirely saved by all the dudes. Like she very much came, you know, out to defend herself to defend her body, because otherwise, you know, she would have been dead and an oxenamone would have, um, you know, ended up in her form, I assume. Because body possession, scary stuff. Mm-hmm. And doesn't she offer herself up instead of being kidnapped technically? Like she kind of voluntarily is like, yes. take me with you. So she has like, a Hunger Games moment. She, yeah, she, so there is a little bit like autonomy there instead of her being kidnapped and like taken away, like hauled over a shoulder screaming. Like she at least, there's a little bit more agency in her decision. Yeah. She has to be saved, but there still is a little bit more agency, I think, than you see in a lot of these movies where it's like, the the damsel's whisked away, screaming in her white gown. Yeah, like, you know what? She also laughed at Emotep when, um, when, like, he came out, you know, the, the, the plane came out of the big sandstorm, like, haha, you didn't kill my man. Like, I love that. Like, she felt mm-hmm. like she could be that, give that clap back. That's what I want. I want to see some sass. And she was sassy. And she is sassy. I just had to play a little devil's advocate and throw it out there. Cause <laughs> well, I that's okay. Like I love it. Her. But then we're here to be like, this is yeah. why she's okay. still great. Give me <laughs> drama. Here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. And I challenge our listeners to do this. What Can you give us a movie in which by the finale, the women aren't paired up to fight each other and the men aren't paired up to fight each other? Mm. Because in a lot of movies that have that kind of the female ends up fighting at the very end and the male ends up fighting at the very end, they're paired up by gender. Star Wars? Where does the women, when, when does the women no, fight? No, it doesn't. 
Ray and I Ray mean, fights, dude. Yeah. She she and Kylo Ren fight yeah. in Star Wars. See. True. Okay. Good. Also, technically, Princess Leia had one of those little blaster boys, and it pew pew pew. You know, she didn't need. Because <laughs> right? I was just thinking back, like, like even with like Guardians of the Galaxy and whatnot, where you have like Gamora and you have. Um, See, that's frustrating. That is a mar. That is a bad shame on them. Shame on them for doing that. It just it seems like a but, lot of times that seems to be like the trope that people go to. It seems a, to be the go to trope. Yeah. But like in slashers, it's usually a, a woman against a giant. Always guy. a final trope. Am, mm-hmm. am I going out? Okay. No, you're not. No, I think you're right. Halloween, but even actually, sometimes some of the Marvel gets it right. Like Captain Marvel, she you know she destroys Jude Law's character, right? What, what, yeah. who was Is he? he in that movie? Yeah, I, I don't, know. I've I honestly watched Marvel that movies. like once. <laughs> And I was like, this is it. This is the end. Sorry. Trigger. No, but I think a lot of the the final girl principle of like, I can, you know, like I'm going to go up against, you know, so-and-so is. Yeah. It's there. No, I just, I think more, I, I guess mine was more towards the, when you have like um, a male action and a female action, action hero. And oh, then they have to go okay. fight yeah. against someone okay. like in the mummy. They tend to be paired up again against gender. It seems to be like in a lot of cases, like that seems to be the kind of go to. And it kind of I don't know. It makes exactly. me sad. I'm like, why? Why does the yeah. woman have to be fighting the woman? Like, why? Why can't the woman like be kicking I the man's like, ass? I, I feel like John Wick did something. I, I mean, can't no, remember. You know what? Wait, I think we're I think we're just forgetting our movies. I think we're forgetting our movies because okay. like also I'm. My brain immediately went to the Wolverine fighting in, um, oh, what's his name? With Hugh Jackman and that, you know, metal cat lady. What was her name? Oh, yeah. Uh, fuck. I can't do it. I'll Google it. I'll Google it, guys. Should I Google it? She had, like, but she had, like, her whole fingertips. She had her whole the... fingertips. But she was fighting, you know? And also, again, Star Wars. Like, I think we see more and more of it, but it's not, it's not as often. You know, the fact that we can still list out a few of these movies, this isn't like a general rule is a problem. And I think, and I, and I wish more people were pointing it out because you're right. It shouldn't just be a girl matched up with another girl. Like, that's not fair. I want to see some kick ass. Kick Girls ass can kick guys asses. Yeah. And honestly, look, feminism, guys can kick women's yeah. asses. Too. Yes. <laughs> Destroy. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I I really did thought I thought I thought was really funny on this rewatch, particularly as this came out in 1999, is the like the dumb American trope. So many fun ones. Like everyone in this, all the Americans in this movie are just dumb. Yeah, they're dumb. They're boorish. They they discount the women as you mentioned earlier, Chelsea. Uh, Beastly Americans. That's what they say. No offense. No offense. Yeah, <laughs> I love how they're like how both how both Evie and her brother are like you know demeaning the Americans and then looking at Rick and being like no offense although he is like totally like, the total uh, embodiment of the yeah. things that they're even talking about well, like the ma- like the crazy masculinity of like look at all my guns I can do with all the saving I'm an adventure boy because oh, like totally. he is just like them because like the cow the cowboy also this gave me I I think Steve and I my fiance and I like watched this and. Bram Stoker's Dracula from Coppola back to back yes. or something like that. It's vi- oh. it's got that similar structure a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of like the characters I was thinking about, just in terms of like the group of the three suitors and these Americans kind of, and then there's the main group kind of that weird parallel to me kind of stuck out in terms of the characters we have and how these are both horror adventure movies of these classic monsters. Yes. I hadn't thought about before. Which I hope but that they the bo- never get rid of the universal mummy ride. I'm just saying. Oh, it's the best one. It's the best. When they set the ceiling on fire and you're like, oh my God, it's the end. 
Yeah, it's the best. Best ride. <laughs> oh, here we go. Is gone. Oh the best ride is gone. Yeah. The best ride was Jaws. I agree. And I know oh, it's not the best true. ride. But oh, I saw God. your picture the other day, Chelsea, on Instagram, where you, get, you were taking a picture in front of Bruce that was hung up there. And it made me so sad because the Jaws ride is gone for what? Harry oh, Potter? They, I think they so. Tore it up? I, you know, it's funny because um, when I was seven, uh, I was taking, I was put on that ride and uh, my mom still feels guilty because she's just like, I cried. <laughs> I was like, Mom, I don't want to go on this. No, you're going to go on this ride. I went on the Jaws ride at seven. That's <laughs> so funny because we went to your Universal as a family, and my brother wasn't quite seven, he was a little bit older. But the Jaws, when Jaws got the boat, he had to jump out of the boat. Yeah. I was like, into the water? Why? He was so scared. He just, he thought, like, I don't know what he thought. It was just like an, Im- like an impulse. He wanted to jump out of the boat. Don't I think do he it. was like 10. <laughs> it was incredible. And we felt so bad. We didn't, because we didn't know, like, we did not think that it was going to happen. We were no. like not anticipating it at all. It was very surprising. We were like, Holy shit, what is happening? You are not shark, like this. You should... Like, the shark didn't even work all the time. Like, no, it, just, it sure no. didn't. <laughs> oh, it did no. not. It did not. But it worked on ours. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, it's, it is pretty scary. Even scary. though you know it's fake, it's wild. It's big. I mean, like, honestly, though, like, even with the, even, I mean, look, I love seeing, you know, the old school kind of monsters, which I don't know, spoiler alert, I heard a rumor, and I'm sure that this is probably verified on, on Google, but I think there's going to be a universal monster verse. So I think you might get your, your wish there, Terry. They've been talking yeah. about, about doing Are that they? back. Like, keep a, talking about they this keep though. talking about it, yeah. but. Because the 2017 mummy was hot garbage. And I think that was oh, them trying garbage. to re, reboot it. But I also know that, is it, Karen Kusama doing Dracula? She was attached or to retached well, it for a bit. A, she was, and, and now um they, they are doing Renfield and, yeah. and Nick Cage's Dracula, which is That'll be awesome. so fucking excited. I, I love Dracula. Dracula's my favorite. No, that's also but, a good one. Oh man. These are these oh. are great movies. Okay. It's like, oh, I should rewatch that. <laughs> but, I should rewatch this. <laughs> but the mummy ride is good. That um I uh, I we I've only been to Universal Studios once and it was like the year before the Jaws ride was gone. And so I managed to finally get on the Jaws ride and then I also did the mummy and I was like this is amazing. Like I love those rides and I I'm with you. I hope they never get rid of the mummy ride cuz it's so it's so much fun. It like just, you know, it mummified him forever. <laughs> this hot man, <laughs> Brendan Fraser. We love you. If you're listening to this, please, please be my friend. <laughs> please be my friend. Yep. That's yeah. all Speaking I of, want. of hot men, here's the thing. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, like I said, until last night, I had not seen this movie since I saw it in 1999. Are you in love? In my mind, <laughs> the guy that played Imhotep. Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. No, 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 no. But before we get to that, I thought it was Billy Zane. Me too. <gasps> Me too. I thought oh, it was Billy Zane I for never years. Connection. I thought it was Billy Zane until I was watching it last night. I was like, okay, it looks like Billy Zane, but that is not Billy Zane. And in fact, I even went to Twitter when I was like stalking Billy Zane and his bio says, not the mummy. Oh my God. <laughs> I thought when I first saw this, I thought it was the guy from Titanic. I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's the guy from Titanic. No, nope. no, it's not. It's but not. It looks like him. Oh, he's so—he's hot though. He's not as hot to me as the leader of the Magi. 
I'm sorry. Oh, but when he's out it fair. Out it fair. It's funny because I think his luxurious locks. Everything about it was like rugged. He just he just hit all the check boxes for me. And I think at the time that I watched this, I thought he was cuter than Brendan Fraser. I still think he's cuter than Brendan Fraser. Okay, hey. <laughs> oh, he just he's riding around the desert. And he's just so cute. And everything is Ugh. serious. And he has like a hawk. Everyone, like, everyone anyone who has a friend so that's hard. an animal is instantly attractive to me. Why Same. is everyone in this movie so hot? It's a formative experience watching this for me. Like, I watched this movie when I was probably, I was under the age of 10. And my dad rented it. And I remember chugging Pepsi Blue. Does anyone <laughs> else remember Pepsi yes. Blue? Yes. <laughs> Pepsi Blue, and I like loved it, and I was chugging this and watching The Mummy and The Mummy Two over and over again, and like, oh, I, Anox and a Moon fighting in two. I I know this is two, but like, formative, formative. Like, oh, and she's when she's painted in gold, and you can see this oh in the beginning of this one. It's just like I wanted to be here so badly, like, and as now as a as a as as an older white woman realizing it's interesting for, for me as a young white girl to want that. Um, but I wanted to be her so bad. On occasion oh. on YouTube, that fight sequence will be like, you know, like recommended. Watch this. Watch this movie scene. I'm like, sure. Every time, click it. Like, sure. <laughs> of course I fucking will. Duh. I also want to bring this up earlier when we were talking, when we were kind of lusting over Rachel Weisz, because... <laughs> Listen, I'm like yeah. Kinsey Six, but Rachel, uh, she's hot. But one of my friends, I was, ta- I was talking to my friends that, we- that I was going to watch this last night uh, for the podcast. And they're like, oh, she was like, oh, Rachel Weiss is so hot. And then she brought up that there was this reductress article uh, that came out in 2019. <laughs> and the the, t- the title of it is uh, that's all that's the only part of, important part of this is the title. But the title was. Woman cozily cupping mug, secretly thinking about getting absolutely railed by Rachel Weisz. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, I, th- I think that's fair. It's me. <laughs> it's you. It's me, too. Because uh, she's, she's, she's stunning. But, like, it's just, like, this movie is just, like, a beautiful combination of incredible actors who are pretty to look at, but also are really talented. Like, yeah. Even Jonathan, who is so fucking annoying, I like, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for his character. And Benny, who's a little snake, but I have, again, a soft spot for that actor. And everyone in this movie is just so good. And I think the action is incredible and the horror elements, especially with the actual mummy. Like, that actual mummy is disgusting and scary. And the way that he takes body parts to make himself mm. whole is just and it like when especially when he gets the guy with the glasses takes his Mr. eyes, Mr. eyes. and he's wandering in the dark and his tongue it's like such a it's so horror because he's in the dark by himself he doesn't have eyes or a tongue and he's oh it's just absolutely horrific and like and a great reveal where she walks up behind him oh, and yes. and turns around and his eyes are you know i know we talked about parallels to other movies but that scene is I it's giving a nod to Jurassic Park and here's why. So when she okay. comes up on Mr. Burns, she goes, "Oh, Mr. Burns, like 
thank goodness you're here. I was just starting to get scared. That's like the scene with um, Ellie oh. from, you know, and Samuel you know, Jackson, and Samuel Jackson when with the arm coming down, you know, after she's just like, you know, there's, yes. you know, the dirt, you know, the velociraptors <laughs> behind her, like poor Laura Dern. But Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, it was like, oh, I was just beginning to get scared. Boom. Like, I think this, I think you're onto something about this being super meta because not only is it like a, a you know, a wink, wink every, every five seconds with like some of those comedic lines, but it really, it really is also, you know, making its own version of like all these horror elements and all these famous movies that we have seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously the, the easiest one to spot is Indiana Jones, but right. Jurassic Park. Yeah. Mr. Burns yeah. was Arnold. <laughs> Hell yeah. that's, that's a good that's yeah. a good point because like the moment you started i was like okay i'm, I'm curious to see where you're gonna go with this dress card and i was like oh wait no absolutely absolutely <laughs> i like watched that scene and i was like oh man like it was like this light bulb went on and you know what i also think too now um having seen this movie again you know as i'm starting to like you know find my footing in my writing hopefully we'll be making some movie things um i borrowed i definitely learned a lot just from watching that movie and i didn't realize yeah. how much you know it's even just from the the creepy shadows in the background and it wasn't just like you know obviously i i've seen you know classic horrors but i think this this movie is one of those films that like I has really stuck with me in a lot of ways am i going to write a story about a mummy probably not but <laughs> I might borrow some things like as far as comedic elements and, and I do love a good action adventure. I do think the structure is really interesting, too, because it starts off, you know, we have the kind of cold open in, set in the past. So it kind of establishes, you know, the, the mummy mythos very quickly. And then it's, it's an adventure film. We have like a, a set piece on the river where the boat's on fire and there's, you know, things are falling in the water horses. There's a shootout like it has that adventure feel. And then it goes to the mines and then it or to the tombs and then it becomes a very claustrophobic. What I wanted was when I was 18 years old, like the whole movie to be like sort of this kind of claustrophobic action set piece within the tomb and then they leave it and then it becomes like a biblical story almost where there's the plagues are being visited and everything and then they go back to the tomb so like it has all the it is constantly changing its its scope and its direction throughout the film and i think that's really impressive for a movie that's two hours long i think the tomb is like a haunted house i mean it's got all these compartments Mm -hmm. there's so many areas for jump scares like even the scarabs again because they were horrifying coming out of the Mm. you know the floor and the walls and this and that the other but yeah like like you said even even too with these plagues i mean it it happens that like right now as we're recording this it's passover you know i'm a i'm a jewish filmmaker hi um but like the plagues were something that was super spooky you know growing up and hearing that you know like being a jewish person and to see the plagues kind of in the mummy was just like oh that's really scary like no i don't want to see a whole bunch of bugs, i don't want to deal with that cricket <laughs> the locusts and the mm-hmm. the boils i mean like everything about that you know is our first kind of omen type storytelling you know, and I and I thought that was really fascinating how they kind of revamped something that I think the masses are obviously the masses are familiar with, but making it into something else. Yeah, and with the boils too, it, yeah. it turns into a zombie movie. Totally, this is a zombie like, movie. I love that Jonathan is like walking through and he runs into them. He's like, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's sort of like it kind of reminds me of like the Shaun of Shaun of the Dead that would come out later. We're like brains, you know, they're trying to like you know make make be part of the zombies and here he's like emotive and walking around as if he's one of them and i just i i thought that was such a clever thing uh to to kind of bring zombies in 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 a interesting way that felt you know right for the movie and then kind of play with that 
that genre as well. I mean, this is living dead, right? Is this all living yeah. dead or undead? Yeah. I will say the the zombie mummy army, not the best CG. I will say some of the CGI does not hold up as well. I will say. Agreed. I, yes. I am offering a criticism here. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'll be on the opposite side and I'll counter that criticism. That wow. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, what? Head <laughs> I think I think the mummy itself is really a well done piece of CG. Oh, yeah, yes. for 1999, like, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. I think the individual CG might be, you know, you could you could tell that that's not a real creature. But I will say that in comparison to a lot of movies that are coming out right now, the way that they shot this, where it was live action, they had the the guy that played the mummy. Um, Arnaud something. Or, or- Arnold Vosloo. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. Probably screwing up his last name, Vosloo. He was basically walking around. He, I found an interview with him that talked about how he felt like he was a Christmas tree because he had all these LED strips on him. But he was like phys- physically on the script, on, on set while they were filming this stuff. And then they used makeup, prosthetics, and CGI to get that look. Yeah. And so I, I was really cognizant of it this time because I'm very, I'm very hypercritical with CG because I'm, again, I grew up with like, you know, all this practical effects. And so watching movies today where it's like all CG, I'm like, okay, it feels like there's a disconnect between the people. Okay. At least it's not the early 2000s. Like, let's be real. That was particularly bad. The Mummy Returns. (laughs) Oof, 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 oof. But, Let's not talk oh, about the rock yeah, and the, the, rock. the scorpion. I mean, King now we've got that. deep fakes and they've redone it, and you're just like, oh, I wish they had that technology then, but they didn't. But the but it's a physical person that they're reacting to, and you can tell, and I think it gives a presence to the film in in a way that that doesn't feel like they're just you know react to this ball over here. You know what I mean? I, I feel like there's a presence here that while the CG might not have aged in some cases, I still think it looks really good. I think that the elongated jaw is always really terrifying and uncanny when he opens up and he roars. But, um, you know, with all the little CGI and that kind of perfect blend of practical and, you know, CGI and sound effects, when the bug comes up his neck and like across his cheek and then he eats it. He eats it. <laughs> oh, I love that shit so much. I lo- whenever some a movie does that with like a bug crawling on someone's face and they eat it, it's I it's disgusting, but I love it. And like the this crunch. is so gross. It's the oh, crunch. The crunch. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. so good. Oh, I'm obsessed. Obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've talked about the sound design a couple of times, but I going back to even before the scarabs are introduced i love the scene where they're walking through the the tunnel and you don't we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what they're going to find and then there's that moment of skittering sound that's like coming in the walls and like like what is that (laughs) sounds like bugs right it's such a good foreshadowing moment but again it's it's sound design that immediately like i was like oh yeah i forgot there are creepy ass bugs in this tomb that are ready to like what are they gonna do like that it's such a good little setup i also loved um the sound effect that they used for the evil presence wasn't just like this like whooshing or ominous sound they were combining like all these animal sounds i don't know if you noticed it mm. but there was like dogs barking oh, and this and the other and you're just like oh that's yeah. really freaky like it's like this like howling and you're like oh like it just it sounds like recognizable things but together it sounds otherworldly which i thought was mm-hmm. really really clever what, one of the things i like to do is dig into kind of like the history of the film and this is a film that had a very long production history 
because it first started out when they were going to, they originally were going to make the mummy in 1987. George Romero was attached to write and direct. And then that fell through. And then Clive Barker was attached to direct based on his treatment and a script by Mick Garris that was dark and violent. The story was, this sounds kind of wild. The story was revolving around an art museum that rebuilds the entire Egyptian tomb in Beverly Hills. I think I heard about this. But it was deemed too dark, sexual, and and filled with mysticism and too weird for the system. Maybe studio. it'll still get made. <laughs> what is it get made? I want to <laughs> see Clive Barker's mummy, and I want to see someone have sex with the mummy. I'm so sorry I said it, but like, <laughs> I, he'll do it. He'll you do know, it. In you the know way. he would exactly. And like, honestly, I'm here for it, especially if it's Clive Barker and it's like yeah. super weird. And he's like, "Be my mummy," or like, "Be my slave," or like weird, <laughs> weird vibes. Like, let me just stab you a million times, and we'll be in pain together forever and it's like weird sexual and you shouldn't be turned on by it but you kind of are you definitely love love dracula (laughs) right yeah (laughs) (laughs) i am who i am (laughs) (laughs) then we almost got a joe dante directed movie that would have had whoa that would have had Daniel Day-Lewis as a brooding mummy. And it was written by John Sayles, who wrote Alligator. And he like he's written a bunch of like really... I, I think John what? Sayles is a fantastic writer. That was the next iteration of this. Yeah, but also with Daniel Joe Day-Lewis Dante, as a brooding like, mummy. That would I be, know. Like there, there probably would have been such a great like kind of critter in there too. No, it would have... The practical effects, I bet, would have been yeah. amazing. Daniel Day-Lewis is... I can't get over Daniel Day-Lewis as a mummy. He'd be a hot mummy. mummy. <laughs> This would have been like late '80s, early '90s too. Steamy, the earring, the little—they had to let him keep the the hoop. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But also rewritten by Alligator Guy, like just yeah. That that also, that I just don't want to glaze over because that's incredible. Because Alligator Guy, I bet it would have been more of a creature feature. Not that this isn't, but this is more like you know, this mummy is so character driven. But they keep talking about the creature, and I feel like that version would probably be like. Crazy creature. It was set in contemporary times and focused on reincarnation with elements of a love story. It became close to being made, and some elements, like the flesh-eating scarabs, made it to the final product. And then, after that, 1994, George Romero returned to the project, but then his version was considered too dark and violent. Again, this is like a theme that has continued throughout all of history. Were there zombies in his? Um, You know what? There was... uh, it's it sounds kind of wild. So it was like a female archaeologist, Helen, and her discovery of the tomb of Imhotep, and it was gonna set. It was gonna take place in American city in modern times when he awakens as a result of his body having been exposed to rays from an MRI scan. <laughs> I love that though because the archaeologists will do the MRI scan. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. That's wild. Yeah. And then. He was going, then I guess Imhotep was going to resurrect the mummy of Karis, which is from the original mummy. Like, Karis was one of the big characters uh-huh. from from, yeah. from the original. And he was going to go on a rampage against the grave robbers of his tomb. Yeah, and, they, and the studio wanted a more accessible picture. And so Mick Garris came back to the film in 1995. Damn, and Jesus he wanted Christ. to combine the 1932 film and 1942's The Mummy's, the Mummy's Tomb. That didn't get made. In 1996, they hired someone to do a new script. And that is when um, Somers, the director, uh, Stephen Stephen Somers, got involved. And he wanted to do Indiana Jones or Jason the Argonauts with the mummy as the creature giving the hero a hard time. 
I mean, that's a perfect, that's a perfect summary. <laughs> it is. But then it got put on hold and it was only until George Miller's Babe, Pig in the City was a massive flop for Universal Studios and they wanted, they needed a hit film. And so Somers was able to pitch it again. And that is how we got to this movie. And a, and a ride. We got a ride yeah. out of it. Universal and Studios. <laughs> and a big hit. That's a big a, hit. That is an insane, like that is a wild history. That production timeline is crazy. I feel that like is that's like, Every incredible movie has like these really long winded timelines like, oh, it was never mm-hmm. made. And it's always the ones that like were almost never made that are like right. the iconic. Like it's almost better that it had that track record or else it wouldn't have been as good, in my opinion. Well, and I do think that like elements of these movies probably infused into the script yeah. at some point, because like like I said, they, they, they talk about the, the scarabs in one of them. And I feel like some parts of this. Somehow, I think he was sort of, um, if, if not like directly related to it, he was like homaging maybe some of the history of the film. Because there are definitely moments when I was reading some of the, the history. I was like, oh, I could see kind of maybe that he was like kind of tipping his hat to what came before in some cases. Yeah, I can see that. And I think honestly, though, like the fact that it has combined so many different elements of all of these genres, like this is something that, you know, it's it's very clear why. This movie was one of the best, I think one of the highest grossing films of 1999. Huge. Yeah, it was a huge, it was a huge hit. And this, and in fact, the studio was like kind of, kind of feeling anxious about it because they had done like a, um, what, what do they call it? Um, screen test. Yeah. Screen test. And it reacted so poorly. Really? Really? Yeah. Is Rude. it because they were scared? So it said the test audiences reacted poorly to the film's title, which conjured up negative impressions of an old horror film. Hmm. Oh, well, that, they're all just fucking lamos. Yeah, they're lame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It looks like this was the eighth uh, highest performing box office movie of 1999. And above that was, you know, the best. Oh, my God. Number one was Star Wars Episode One: Phantom Menace. And then. Oh, of course. Of course. Two was The Sixth Sense. All right. I will give The Sixth Sense. I'm actually surprised by that. I didn't realize The Sixth Sense would have. I think it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Then Austin Powers. Then Toy Story 2. Austin, Austin Powers. Powers. Yep. Austin Powers is spy shag me. Yep. Then Toy Story 2. Then The Matrix. And then Tarzan. And then the one, the, the last one that's beating the mummy is <laughs> Big Daddy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, it's kind of incredible. <laughs> audiences sometimes. <laughs> Poor judgment. <laughs> Man, wow. but yeah. Wow, what a list. What a list. Yeah. Wow. Austin Powers. Austin Powers. Yeah, that was that oh year. Oh, my God. But isn't that incredible, too, that like in 1999, two, like most of those movies were genre films that were mm-hmm. being the biggest hits, but also that the second highest grossing film was a horror movie. And I think still yeah. at that time, people were, you know, turning their noses up at the genre in general. I mean, like, oh, yeah, this is like nobody wants to make horror movies. And now, like, look at us. Look at us now, fam. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that was the thing, because, like, you know, in the early I think the 90s is a weird period for horror because you have in the very beginning of the decade, a lot of like more artistic type, but like fucked up and nihilistic. Because, you know, yeah. you had like the Alien 3 who came out, which is one of the bleakest of the films and you had like uh, Jacob's Ladder and you had Candyman. You had like a lot of like very dark films. And then you went into the sort of teen slasher boom that happened from the mid nineties all the way up to this movie coming out. And then I think people 
kind of turn her nose up to because again it was teen flavored horror and then you get this sort of hitting all sort of quadrants of and it's doing such a great job and we're doing interesting things with the sixth sense and with this film that it i think it was like a renaissance in a way yeah i mean like all of that whole era was such it was all original writing studios were taking mm-hmm. risks on mm-hmm. you know it wasn't something that was a franchise it wasn't something that they could just bank on you don't have to make a you know a revival of something um i mean in some ways the mummy was but at the mm-hmm. same time like there was so much original storytelling that was happening and like for that to for horror to kind of like be triumphant or genre as a whole the sci-fi the adventures like all these things like that was such a great i think moment and maybe a turning point for the way that the film industry has you know become even now and this is, you know, how many years ago? I would also say, though, that The Mummy, even though, yeah, it is banking on a, on a franchise, it was a franchise that it lost its luster. Yes. I mean, when was the last, before this movie, when was the last time uh, The Mummy by Universal Pictures, like a movie that was The Mummy, came out, you know? Like, I don't think, I don't think it had, like, the, the name recognition of, like, a Jurassic Park would or, you know, Jaws or anything like that. It, it had been laying dormant for so long that I think it might have actually... Like the test audiences, it worked against them because it like, oh, this seems like an old movie. Yeah. And so I think that the fact that it kind of succeeded in spite of the fact that it was like a franchise from the 1930s is saying something. I agree. I agree. Classic. Classic Frasier. <laughs> so have you guys seen the, all three of them? I've seen the first two and I refuse to see anything after. Me yep. too. Same thing. I loved two. I haven't, I haven't revisited two in a very long time. So I remember loving now, it as a to. child. But... Yeah, I haven't revisited it. And I won't see the third one. I don't want to know. That's how that's how Fraser broke his back and like was at was like in pain for so long. I think filming the, the third second one. Movie? Or the third the third oh, one. Really? The third one. No, I didn't oh, really? know that. I didn't know because I know that was like a big turning point for him. Not good. That's the one that takes place in China, I think. Yeah, Is it it's, um, so what year was that? That was in two thousand eight, I wanna say. I'm pretty sure that's the one where he broke his back. Um, and that's what like kind of was like the beginning um, of the end or yeah. the beginning of the end of like a certain era for Brendan Fraser. But now he's making a comeback, baby. I'm so yeah. excited. He's going to be in Batgirl, right? Oh, yeah. Is he really? He's going to be in Batgirl. That's going to be his big oh, move. Yeah. That's his mm-hmm. next move. Yeah, I think you're right. It must have been 2008. 2008, Mummy, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. And yeah, so that would have been. He had a tough time. I'm pretty sure. Let me just make and sure I'm recast, not like, totally full of shit. <laughs> they recast Maria Bello as uh, Evelyn in that movie, which was Boo. not a good choice. Not a good choice. They ju- oh man. One okay. One final thing because I meant to bring this up earlier hmm. um, when we were talking about Jonathan. The watch on this watch, I kind of think he's queer coded. Oh, I can, yeah, I, I can see, see that. Yeah, because there's this there's a moment in it where like I and I don't I I wrote the line down and I literally cannot find it now but he was almost like agreeing with Evie that the Brendan Fraser that his character Rick which I'm sorry Rick O'Connell is not a good no it's not a good name, name. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of boring but but it's like he he makes a comment about kind of that he's attractive in a way and I can't remember exactly what the line was but it was like this kind of line is like oh okay so he's a single he's a single man and he's hanging out with a sister. I'm like, this is queer coded for gay. You know what? I never thought of that. And I I like Jonathan now even more. <laughs> I mean, I think that he was he's such a well-rounded character, but I wish that they did. I wish that it was more overt then. I feel yeah. like they I, I wish they didn't disguise anything because I actually think it would have made it stronger. But again, 1999, they were uh, shame on it was them. A, 
I mean, it was a, it was a hard time to be time. <laughs> a gay man in a in 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 Hollywood. That is for sure. In terms of like what. Man, okay, I, I found the quote because I was I was oh. like determined to find this quote about him getting injured. So it wasn't that he hurt himself specifically on the third mummy, but he in that that really good interview I think he did with GQ at last year about like his comeback was that by the time he did the third I did the third mummy picture in China in 2008 I was put together with tape and ice mm. and he Yikes. was like basically he said I was building an exoskeleton for myself every day so like years of doing his own stunts like he was basically just really not in good shape and I think that yeah that's why I'm a bit the mummy thing. was it years of doing stunts um dangerously because I kind of wonder about that like were there not no crash mats? Like, what would have he... I mean, I understand, like, it's cool to do your own stunts. And I mean, but it's still, like, you know, such a risk for a studio to let their lead do their own stunts. I mean, remember what, you know, happened with yeah. Tom Cruise when he broke his ankle jumping out of a... Was it jumping out of the plane? I forget which Mission Impossible. But that's a huge... That just stops production. Like, what are you yeah. going to do? Well, I hope that he gets, you know, again, I hope he gets back on his feet. I'm rooting for him. I will forever love him. Um, wait, was he George of the Jungle, right? He was. He, he was, was George of yeah. the Jungle. What a hunk. And there's a there's a moment here where he's wearing like the same hair. Like it feels oh, like he's yeah. wearing the, the George of the Jungle hair when he's when he's found in the jail. It's like, oh, George. that's the George of the Jungle but wig. Also, I loved him in Blast from the Past, too. So. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he was actually fully choked out in The Mummy. Because oh, when they were filming the prison scene with the noose, he actually blacked out while they were doing <gasps> it. No. Yeah. I think he just like didn't do stunts right. Like he got, <laughs> he got his first time he like got extra money when he got thrown into an arcade machine and like bruised a rib. And then he just kept doing his own stunts and he probably just wasn't doing them right. So he had to get like knee replacements and spinal surgery yeah. and all That's this crazy scary. shit. I know. Jesus. It's just like, oh, no, thank you. No, thanks. thank you. But do we want to wrap this up and give it our rating out of five? Sounds good to me. Terry. Oh, b- before oh. we do though, oh, yeah. Chelsea, watching this again, is this does this is this still a scarred for life moment, or did this movie still scare you as it did when you were a kid? Yeah, especially yeah. now that like I'm deathly allergic to uh, mosquito bites, they just find me, so I understand oh, really? what it's like to be. Well, it's not like deathly allergic, but like if you get you know eaten by mosquitoes all summer, I'm just like neurotically spraying bug spray on me like all the time, <laughs> and I look like a crazy person. Um, so the idea of scarabs really, really messes me up. So yes, I think it's still really scary. And the same thing that really scared me about it. Um, I also think like, again, like the idea of curses and ghosts that can physically harm you. Yeah, totally. Everything about this movie actually spooked me. So I also, so the mosquito part, I have a question. Are you one of the people that like the mosquitoes just want to eat you up alive and like, will ignore everyone else? Cause that's me. That's me. (laughs) I feel your pain. We can do this together. <laughs> Last summer, you know, I was I was at my friends. Uh, they they live in a in a neighborhood that has a swimming like a public swimming pool, and we were lounging by there. And I'm just sitting there, and no one else is getting eaten. I'm just like, guys, I gotta go because I like him. Just in the next day, I'm just covered, covered in bites, and no one else is like, I'm fine. I'm like, God damn it. We just, you know what? We're just sweet people. We're we sweet are. people. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna tell myself yeah. at least. <laughs> Consolation. <laughs> are we ready to give this movie our rating out of five? Yes. All right, Terry. How many flesh-eating scarabs out of five do you give the mummy? Well, it's funny. I was telling Mary Beth before we started that I went to look at my... I went. I, I use Letterboxd to like categorize everything now because 
when you're writing and you're critiquing a lot of movies, it's, it helps to have that list of movies you've watched. And when I went to go add this movie to my watch again list, um, I realized I had given it two stars back when I first like write it. And that was based on a memory out of, out of five. Oh yeah, that's right. Letterboxd is out of five. Yeah. But that was based on a memory of me watching this back in 1999. Cause again, I had not seen it since the movie theater and watching it now. I think this movie is a lot of fun. I, 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 I'm glad that we had this conversation because I feel a lot better now in terms of the the kind of parts that were like kind of jabbing me in terms of like, Ugh, I don't like that they did this and this and this and this. But I think this movie is, is a blast. I think the, the cast is phenomenal. And they're just like Mary Beth said, it's a bisexual dream. Like it's just it's no one in this cast is is not good looking and they all <laughs> just are phenomenal. And yeah, so I I had a great time watching this. So I'm going to give it. Three and a half flesh-eating scarabs. There That's what go. I'm going to give it this time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know is probably going to be on the low end for everyone else. But Mary Beth, how many flesh-eating scarabs do you give it? Four and a half. Surprising no one. I obviously know that there are problems. and But I still think this is a near-perfect movie. I loved it as a kid. I love it now. I have so much fun with it. My bisexual awakening. <laughs> I just love everything about this movie. It makes me so happy. It is so much fun to watch. And I think everyone is pitch perfect in it. Um, so I'm giving it four and a half. Chelsea, you have the final word. Ah, oh, man. I mean, is it bad if I give it... F- well, it has some issues, so I'm going to say I'll also give it four and a half scarabs um, because it makes me excited to go to the movies. This is like the best kind of like escapism filmmaking that I want to see. Um, and I really like the characters, obviously well-performed. Um, I'm in love with Rachel. I'm in love with Brendan. I'm in love with all of them. Ugh, the Magi. Love them all. Um, but I think that uh, as as far as scary, spooky, fun, funny um, that this is the kind of movie that you want to stand up and applaud at the end of watching. And I, and I, the fact that I want to watch it multiple times is kind of a testament to, to how good it was to me. So four and a half scarabs. <laughs> Perfect popcorn horror movie for sure. Yes. Like, yes. Well, thank you again so much, Chelsea, for joining us. And finally, like I get to talk to you face to face because this has been a joy for me. So thank you for joining us and bringing the mummy back into my my purview. So where can the listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up that you can um, share with us? Oh, man. Um, so uh, you can find... Do I give my at? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. okay, okay. Yep. Just checking. You, right, yeah. <laughs> yep. you, can, you can find me... No, you need to know I your just, address. You want to send oh, all our listeners to your sorry, house. So I, gave, so I, I live in New York City. Um, no, uh, my, my, on social media, I'm just at Chelsea Lupkin. Um, and... Uh, you can maybe see some more work from me coming out soon. There's obviously a lot of delish videos, some more episodes of Iconic Eats, Julia trying everything. So we got all that foodie content for you. Um, but also uh, I'm working on a, a short horror right now um, that's in post. So maybe it might go to film festivals. I don't know. But it's um, a feminist demon horror. And who doesn't want to watch that? <laughs> I so want to watch that. Can we watch it now? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Thank this you. This is so fun. Well, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with The Mummy from 1999? Send us an email at Podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. 
And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. As Chelsea knows, it really helps out with the algorithm shit. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> <laughs>